I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So I want to address the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp story that's happening right now or the situation that's happening right now because I really think it's important during Mental Health Awareness Month which is May, and also Borderline Personality Disorder Awareness Month, to talk about things that perpetuate the negative stigma. One of the things that I like to do is look at the lies that are told within the stigma of a personality disorder or even mental health in general, and one of those is that BPD is a bad prognosis diagnosis. Dr. Fox says this well. He says, actually, in the DSM-4-TR which was published in 2000, right, which is, you know, let's say 22 years ago, it seems like that's enough time for, you know, the the field to have caught up to what they found, which is that BPD is actually a good prognosis diagnosis. The pa- In the past, people used to believe that borderline personality disorder and personalities and disorders in general were disorders that we couldn't heal. And this was because they believed that personality couldn't change over time. But, you know, when Marsha Linehan came along and she manualized um, dialectical behavioral therapy as a treatment, it was we were able to study it because we had a baseline, we could measure, and we had a formula to follow that you can kind of teach to other clinicians, which allows for this beginning of a research process to figure out does this kind of treatment modality help individuals struggling with these behaviors and who meet this criteria move forward and recover? And so that started the change, you know, in terms of like research and, and what they found, which is that people with borderline personality disorder, they, they can recover and that there is hope. You know, 22 years later, we would really think that the field has caught up, but it's unfortunate that it hasn't, but, you know, it just, it just hasn't quite yet. And this current storyline about Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and the way that the media is portraying individuals with borderline personality disorder is really sad because it perpetuates the stigma. And I know I've noticed there are just so many beautiful people right now who are advocating for borderline personality disorder. I saw recently an interview from Molly who she was interviewing Dr. Fox. Oh my gosh, it was a great interview and she's got some really great content. There are many individuals out there who have podcasts that are about their experience and their hope through having borderline personality disorder and other different types of mental illnesses. And I encourage you to gather lots of hope through these um, podcasts and these stories. And, you know, so there are people out there combating the stigma. I also think that there are still a lot of mentality, there are a lot of people with that mentality of, oh, I have to be scared of what I don't know. And so we look at this case with Amber Heard and we look at this case with Johnny Depp and, you know, we look at the, the, what the media is saying, which is that, you know, people with BPD essentially are dangerous. Right. 
And a lot of the feedback that I've been getting, and, and this is a valid fear, is that if the media is saying that be people with BPD are dangerous, then what does that mean for the people who know me? Like, what are they thinking about me? How are they feeling about me? And what does that mean for me? Am I dangerous? I've had some people say that it's been a blessing. I had someone write in and this morning and say that if they hadn't have heard the story about Amber Heard and her behaviors, that they wouldn't have had that click light bulb moment to take full responsibility for their own behaviors. Because even though, you know, the story of the defecating in the bed and all that, like, even though that's, you know, incredibly um, inappropriate in terms of behavioral action, it is, it reminded this individual that they've done things that maybe even pale in comparison to that. And that, you know, if we want to combat stigma and if we want to be in close relationship, you know, with others and have fulfilled lives, you know, not engaging in those kinds of behaviors is just really powerful. And I think, you know, that's a very positive way to look at it for sure. I've also had some individuals that are really kind of like uh, pulled away from their recovery path because of the story, which I can understand that as well. Social justice issues are a big trigger for the individual with borderline personality disorder or just, you know, struggling with a strong sense of self. So I want to bring some things into perspective today, and then I'll go into the Q&A portion of the podcast. So one thing that I want to bring into perspective is that when we look at the different roles that are played in the portrayal of a story, especially a news story, a media story, we have to understand the motive and, you know, sort of mentalize or look at, you know, these different roles in the big picture. And when I look at first is I think about the media, right? And I think, well, what is the role of the media? Well, to a certain degree, and hopefully you can agree with me, the role of the media is to get our, to draw our attention, to get our attention, right? We want to create headlines if we were a media entity that drew people in. I think about that when I name some of my podcast episodes. If this content is going to be helpful, I want more people to catch that title and then click on the link and listen so that they can gain access to that support and that hope. So it is something that is part of the job of the media, right? So when the media catches a story between two celebrities where one celebrity has a mental illness, right? And that mental illness involves these extreme behaviors. In order to create an interesting story, they say things emotionally charged things like people with borderline personality disorder are dangerous, it's, an import, it's very important that we look at that role, right? Whether we agree with that or not, the way that they're doing that or not, it is, you know, part of media, the media and how they operate. So remember that some of the things said, even though it perpetuates the stigma, if you are struggling personally with the case and what's being said, remember that, you know, all disorders in, exist on a continuum, on a spectrum, and they that kind of blanket statement, it just doesn't account for individual differences. It doesn't. And it's important that you don't get too sucked into you thinking of what other people are thinking because this 
um, information is one bit of information out there. So if you have loved ones or family members that are kind of curious about BPD and this is what they're getting, you can check out, um, it's actually not McLean University, it's McLean University. You can check them out and head on to over to their website. They do some really great research and they have wonderful statistics um, that is that are very recent about recovery. You know, over half of the people in recovery from borderline personality disorder go into full remission of symptoms across their lifetime. And these individuals have been engaged in anything from dialectical behavioral therapy, MBT, um, trauma-focused CBT, medication management, holistic therapies. So they're starting to broaden their, their, their research and finding that, you know, many people with given the right care and, and the willingness, ready, readiness, willingness, and motivation do recover and have full symptom remission from borderline personality disorder. And so you can give that information to people understanding that unfortunately with the availability heuristics, so we've talked about cognitive distortions, you know, and there are ways our brains um, organize information. The availability heuristic is just that, you know, we're going to, our brains are first going to recall information that is readily available to us. So if we think BPD, Amber Heard, dangerous, that's because it's become information that is, you know, again, readily available. So you want to make sure that you're offering information that is something that provides facts and truth about borderline personality disorder. If you can even share facts and truth about borderline personality disorder more on your, if you have social media or, you know, whatever it is that you can do even throughout this month, because it is borderline personality disorder awareness month. And when you have an awareness month, you want to try to combat that stigma. Remembering not to stay too involved in the things that Amber has done and what they're saying about Amber. Now, also, side note, we also have to look at the roles Amber and Johnny Depp play. So remember, Johnny Depp is actually suing Amber Heard for defamation, as far as I understand it. And in, in, in that case, we don't really have a lot of information about him or about his situation. So we only have one side of the story. That's another important piece to remember. And the psychologist who assessed Amber said that she had traits of both histrionic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. Right. So we're, we want to remember that the facts of this case are revealed to us by organizations that want to draw in our attention. And anytime we're generalizing to a group of people, we really start to make life a bit unfair for those people. So are people with BPD dangerous then? I'm hoping to have some of my clients and listeners come on the podcast this month to talk about their feelings about this case, to share their recovery stories. And this is something that we'll revisit, you know, um, again and get, you know, people's opinions of what that means. But I'll answer from my own personal perspective, are people with borderline personality disorder dangerous? Well, I think that we should probably look at the definition of dangerous, right? What does it mean to be dangerous? What does it mean to have that associated? Well, 
To be dangerous is means to able or likely to cause harm or injury, likely to cause problems or to have adverse consequences. Okay, here are some adjectives for dangerous. Menacing, threatening, savage, treacherous, vicious, murderous, desperate, unpredictable, precarious, insecure, high risk. Okay, so... I'm reading them off and some of them are way off base. You know, I think about people with borderline personality disorder, murderous doesn't come to mind, right? And hopefully you can kind of take that perspective as well. And I also think, okay, let me go in my mind and assess the behavior I engaged in. So unfortunately, without context, you know, society ends up getting that message. People with BPD are dangerous. That's not quite the case, right? It's that people with BPD are very overly sensitive, very highly sensitive people, maybe overly sensitive people, right? And because we're so sensitive, we often experience emotions bigger than the average person. And when you experience emotions bigger than the average person, you want to run from that emotion or dive into that emotion. And often a story or a narrative is created that doesn't align with reality because we're so sensitive. And so to someone who has been hurt in a relationship or maybe has experienced trauma or abuse, that emotional intensity or that behavioral episode can be perceived as dangerous. The problem with saying that people with BPD are dangerous is that, is that is, it is excuse me an attack on the character of that individual. And the behavior is inexcusable, but that person is a beautiful person that has a history of trauma and pain and being hurt and needs support to manage the way that their personality differences manifest in the world around them. And that's really what I want you to take away from this case is understanding that these blanket statements, there weren't a... An, uh, it's not something they're going like, oh, we have to marginalize more all people with BPD or perpetuate this stigma. I really, truly believe that they wanted to, you know, create a good story. Believe, understand that you don't know the whole history of Amber. You don't know the whole history of Johnny. Understand that, you know, you can distance yourself from that and bring the people that you love on board with you by offering them um, information that's based on research and facts, things that resonate with you as well, things that describe you, support that you may need. And then remembering that in order to combat the stigma, we have to blend honesty with validation, right? So I validate the fact that this story perpetuates the stigma of people with struggling with mental illness, with borderline personality disorder. And then I look in at honesty and I think that the, some of the behaviors in episodes, at least for me, I'm speaking from my personal experience, they were dangerous, whether it been dangerous because it would have hurt someone's feelings or whether it would have altered the course of their career or whether it would have cause them to have a panic attack for whatever reason. Like, you know, when, when I was in an episode and acting irrational, my irrational behavior was unpredictable and uncertain, right? So that those things are both true, but underlying all of that is that 
you and your character, you're not dangerous. The, the behavior is inexcusable. The unpredictable nature of the behavior, that's what you need help with. And needing help is a common theme that, that all people need. It's a common thing, excuse me, that all people need. So with love, I say to you, please share good information with people. Take responsibility for behavior that if you've done something inappropriate in an episode and share with people that this is a good prognosis diagnosis and that they've been they've known this since the DSM 4 TR that there's a lot of research that states that people with borderline personality disorder can have achieve full remission of symptoms throughout their lifespan and that there's just hope if you're new to this podcast you're new listening there's hope even if you think to yourself, man, what I've done pales in comparison to what Amber has done, there's still hope. Because learning you and learning how to enable yourself in the world, like learning mindfulness, learning how to regulate your emotions, learning how to connect deeply with others, to navigate moral dilemmas, to fill yourself with things that are truly filling and purposeful to have spiritual and social connections. That's the goal of recovery. So if you internalize the idea that you're dangerous, that the media is now saying you're dangerous, so everyone will think you're dangerous, etc. If you start to internalize that and really take this case on as part of your life, it will start weighing down heavily on you because it is it, it exists in untruth. It's not true. So use that story again to educate others and to also educate yourself and motivate yourself to maintain stability so that if you have a situation where you're in an episode, you take your space, you regulate your emotions and using adaptive coping skills and combat that stigma because you can show, look, I'm, I'm good, I'm well. I have bad days, I have good days, but I am in recovery and I am a good person. I'm not a dangerous person and I have hope and I'm going to give this hope to the next person who's new to the diagnosis. All right, let's jump into the Q&A. Hi, Rose. So I have a question about how one can start connecting with people and making friends. Um, and I'm not sure if it has to do with my BPD or um, my childhood trauma, but it's really hard for me to show up to maintain um, relationships with other people. Um and I know that I, I it, it could be easy for me to make friends because I am outgoing and and I just put myself out there a lot. But then something happens, maybe when people start getting closer to me, that I my tendency is to avoid and just turn the other way, and it is not serving me. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Thank you so much for that question. I think that the answer to how can I connect with people and make friends really comes down to your definition of what a friend is. I used to think that friendship was a one-way street, right? It's like, I'm bored right now. I want to call someone. Let's hang out. 
And then I wouldn't show up for them because when I was sad, I didn't want to show up. I didn't feel like being around people. And then I would have this guilt and shame around the fact that I didn't show up. But really, I wasn't in a friendship by definition. I was in a relationship with someone that I thought I could get my needs met from. Maybe we say codependent, we say enmeshed, we say favorite person, favorite host, whatever, whichever term you would use to accurately describe that in your own individual worldview. So you want to evaluate whether or not your definition of friendship matches what you're asking for. I know when I was able to do that, it actually prevented me from seeking friend relationships for a while because I really didn't want or was ready for a two-way friendship. I wanted to work on my romantic relationship. I wanted to work on the relationship with my son. And I wanted to make sure that I was so stable in who I was that I was able to give when I became part of a friend group or when I had some friends. So looking at that definition really helped stop the shame spiral to help me realize it when, with honest self-reflection that it's not that people don't want to be friends with me or it wasn't that people, I didn't have any friends. It was that I wasn't, I was insecure in friendships and wasn't really sure what a friendship should look like because I really hadn't had a good functional example of that. So one of the things that I love when it comes to connecting with other people or embarking on a journey to have new friends or new relationships is to gamify that situation. I'm going to do a, a whole episode you'll hear released um, about gamifying recovery. So gamifying a friendship means making sure that when you go to connect with people, there's some play involved. I love the idea of maybe like an adult kickball league or, you know, um, some sort of game you're playing maybe there's a board game night or maybe you you know of a location where you can go and play a pickup soccer game with other adults or a pickup basketball game because you can meet people in those environments but the focus isn't on meeting people right the focus is on the game and through the game and through play and excitement and enjoyment you get to know people so it's kind of a, a shortcut to learning how to connect in positivity with someone in relationship that's a two-way street on a team that are both working towards a common goal. And if that were this, you were willing to connect with others in play and willing to redefine your relationship or your definition of friendship, excuse me, then perhaps when you needed to retreat, you could retreat without feeling such shame and guilt that you had let someone down. And maybe we also want to look at why would I retreat in the relationship? Is it because I don't trust that person? Am I being honest with the way that I hold and carry my feelings? Is it because I'm hardened? I've hardened my heart to people trying to help me? So really that individual difference there of what prevents you from reconnecting and why and whether you're looking for new friends or to grow your network. So that's something to kind of dig in if you have a support person, um, a therapist, a coach, if you want to reach out to me. Those, that, those are all great options to continue to explore this. But you know, remember, keep it light at first. Refine that definition and, and rebuild what friendship is in recovery. That's part of the growth process. All right. 
Thank you. Hello, Rose and Jay.、Um, this is Shelley from Germany. Thank you so much for your podcast. I found your podcast and it brought tremendous hope into my life.、Um, I have two questions.、Uh, the first thing is how can I deal with my reflexive reactions? I live here as a foreigner and I have big fear associated with the new language somehow. I feel intense emotions when I make mistakes and I can still control my social responses, so to speak. As I choose to do so.、Um, but reflexive reactions, such as shaky hands or even crying, this kind of stuff I often cannot hide or control, and it isn't easy, for instance, like at the workplace. Sorry, this is second part from Shelley.、Um, the second thing is, I somehow cannot get rid of this black sheep feeling. Like, I am not a useful member of the friend group or a favorable member of the new team.、Um, I have amazing friends and team members here, but each time when they pick me up for lunch or something, I always get really surprised because I,、um, my default expectation is much, much worse. And yeah, this black sheep feeling, this conviction affects my mental health. Really badly, and it affects my performance a lot as well. And it's getting really tough, and I want to get rid of it. I would appreciate it if I could get your advice on this. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm quite looking forward to your next episode as always. Ciao. Hi, Shelly. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad to hear that the podcast has provided you with some hope. And I appreciate your submitting this question. So, you said, How can I deal with the reflective reactions that accompany intense emotions? So, reflexive reactions being when your body is expressing the overwhelming emotion that you're choosing to kind of、um, control and not react to when you're making a mistake or when something goes wrong in the environment. So, a lot of people can relate to this. This is really brilliant as a question. And, and so, without knowing, And too much more of your background, I'm going to give you a theory, and、I'm, I hope that you can run with this theory. So,、um, one of the things that has helped me more than you know, most of the tips and tricks in recovery is increasing my level of self awareness. When I first became self aware, my eyes were open to the incredibly inappropriate behaviors I was engaging in and to my inability to control my emotions. It was so painful that. Self awareness was something I wanted, hated, <laughs> a push pull, let's say.、Um, and so the more I was able to tolerate this discomfort of really having self awareness and, and knowing authentically who I was, well, who I wanted to be, and what was I doing that was just way off base from that, the be-、uh, kind of easier, better things you know, had gotten. And so, what I would encourage you to do is to increase your self awareness by beginning each day with a movement practice and a check in with yourself to ask yourself, What do I need today? I would also very much so encourage you to begin to become aware of your emotional experiences, not just during times of distress. 
but every day, if you could carry a small journal with you with, that you can write your emotional experiences in, you can identify what am I feeling and where am I feeling it in my body and what do I need right now. It's just a very simple starting point for you to begin to become so self-aware that your body won't be leaking emotional intensity because you're trying to hold on very tight and not engage in those emotionally inappropriate behaviors. Our bodies are very smart and we are people who are intense and filled with energy. And so I really believe that some sort of movement or play, play through movement or movement through play <laughs> is so beneficial because that intensity is still there, right? And so you're just, if you're not moving your body and energy is transferred, if we're not transferring that energy into physical movement, then it kind of sits and it festers. And then it comes out in the shaking and the crying or the cracking of the voice where you're like really trying to hold yourself together. So the more control you can have and the more self-awareness you can have, starting your day with movement, a check-in, and, and being aware of those emotions the, the more you'll be propelled through recovery. I find that I'm very resistant at times to doing an everyday journaling process. So if this is something that you would fight, fight um, with as well, see if you can t um, trick yourself a little bit into doing it. So do it on Monday, do it on Wednesday, on Friday, just till, until you get to the point where you're able to connect to the reason why you have to do this skill or the reason why this may help you. All right. Um, the second question you had is you cannot get rid of that black sheep feeling. It's something that we talked about last week, or I had a, a listener on and she was asking about, I read a listener's question. Excuse me, my goodness. So she was asking about like whether or not, like she said, how can I tell people I'm a good person if I just know I'm not? It's like saying I don't like Reese peanut butter cups. So this is a very similar question to that. It's, so if you know your friend group is great and they're loved and they'll go out of their way to choose you and they'll pick you up, then I'm wondering if you're not connecting present day to everything you've been through to get to the point where you have friends who love you so much that they, they choose to come to you, to gather you up, to bring you with them, to connect with you in their space. And so it's common, especially, you know, I think about me today and I think about everything that I've gone through to get to where I am right now. And well, it's a lot. It really is. But on days that are harder, like today, I made a mistake today in one of my sessions. I was way too intense and it just stinks. I think, man, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm so intense, blah, blah, blah. And that train of thought starts coming, that negativity. So it's that black sheep. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. Why is, why, how do I even get to do this? That story, that story is so old. It comes from childhood, right? I'm sure you can relate to that. I hope that you can relate to that. If not, it is something that comes from the past, right? And so the story that came up for me was very inaccurate. It wasn't true. But I needed to look at everything I had been through to get to where I am and to understand a fundamental, a fundamental truth about human behavior, that humans make mistakes, period. 
and that I'm going to make them and that's okay. And that I, you know, I can forgive myself. I can learn from my mistakes. I can be disappointed in my behavior and I can move on. And I can only look at that truth if I'm able to look at everything I've been through to get to where I am and all the hard work I've put in and how I actually am doing everything in my power to be a good person who's consistent. And that's the way that I live my life. And so if I don't, if I allow that emotional dimension, that emotional perception or playground to take over, it will tell me and convince me that I am not good enough. Or I'm not worthy. But based on the facts of the history of my life and how I got from point A to point B, it's just not true. And so I really do need to focus my mind on that and write out that narrative and tell myself, what's, what is all the evidence I have against this? And do I really want to hold on to that? Because if I stop mentalizing myself, mentalizing, if I stop having empathy for myself, for understanding at what I've been through, what I felt, what I've experienced, the changes that I've overcome, then I will always think that I am not good enough. Because that's the way my brain has learned to organize information to keep me safe from more rejection and more pain and more hurt. So it's just an easier go-to because I had more time in that space than I did in this. But it really is my responsibility to look at the facts. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do. And you can do that through that journaling process that, that I talked about when I, I addressed your first question. Remember that the quickest way to you know, have a, a relationship kind of fade away is to find someone who cares for you. And then when they tell you I care for you, you tell them, oh, you try to convince them that you're, you don't actually exist. So you're like, no, 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 you can't. You don't care about me. I, I'm, I'm horrible, right? So then you're trying to convince them that what they believe about you to be true isn't true. So you're almost like not allowing them to love you or not allowing them to care about you. So check those facts. Become self-aware and see, is there evidence? Am I really a black sheep? Right. You also mentioned being in like a new place, learning a new language, right? I'm not sure how long you've been there. I just want to kind of put this out there for you. Understand that it takes time for people who have uh, emotional dysregulation disorders, BPD, what have you, to transition. This is something that I found find is fairly common. I'm sure it's not true for everyone because that would be a, an overgeneralization. I do, though, for myself, especially like moving transitioning from different uh, vacation to other vacation. It's just can provide a lot more stress than I would like to believe that it does. So, you know, if you're having adjustment concerns, issues, make sure to break down the things that you would need to do to assimilate to that new culture into smaller parts so that it can be manageable, understanding that it will take time for you to grow in that space and feel comfortable in that space. So give yourself some grace and some hope. And I really appreciate your sending in that question. Hello. Um, I would love to ask a question. I recently discovered your podcast. Um, I have been diagnosed with BPD amongst many other things. I feel like I've been diagnosed with the whole DSM. Um, but I really resonate that 
diagnosis within the last year or so. I had a question regarding relationships after hearing your story with your husband. Um, how do you know when it's time to let go and walk away or to keep persevering and pushing? My boyfriend and I have been on and off for the last year and a half. It's a very emotionally taxing relationship, very dysfunctional. Um, I believe he is emotionally and verbally abusive. However, I feel that I'm mentally abusive myself. Um, so how do you know when it's time to let go and call it quits to not do any more destruction or if you should just keep pushing on and trying to make it work? Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lauren, for submitting that question. I'm sure so many people can relate to that. I know full well that there was a moment in time where I felt this exact same thing. I used to think that Jay was emotionally abusive to me because of the way that he told me to wash the dishes. And I talked about this in earlier episodes, so I won't rehash that. I will say, though, that the danger in trying to determine whether to dissolve a relationship in the middle of recovery is that you're not able yet to consistently see truth and reality in within your new moral values and structure. And so if that's the case, if that resonates with you, then my suggestion to you would be to, if your partner is willing to take space, which is very hard to do, but that space, though, if you're willing to do it, will give both of you an opportunity to work on finding reality again, trusting self, yourselves. So that when you do make this choice, you can be able, you're able to see all the different aspects of the situation. I wasn't able to understand that my husband, who was the, my boyfriend at the time, like that Jay was like just trying to help me wash all the soap off the dish. I, I would not have been able to comprehend that. So I had to have space, that space, and I had to really be willing to work on having structure and stability to having a moral compass, aligning my decisions with that, making sure that I got ahead of regulating my emotions. So that way I could build a better sense of confidence and trust in the person that I, I was or I was becoming. So that way I can look and say, okay, big picture, like what's life like without him? Is that what I want? And what's his character? Is he really abusive? And am I abusive? Right? This question of whether or not people are abusive or people with BPD are abusive is a great one. It really fits well in the Amber Heard episode, right? And I, the answer is there are times when in an episode, in my opinion, when in an episode the behavior that person's engaging in is abusive. But they're, they're, that is not their character. Because the, your behavior doesn't define you. So if things are tumultuous right now and you're not seeing a way out, take space to gain clarity. Right? And when you feel like you have that clarity, you can kind of enter back through. It's also good if you, you know, have somebody, a, a, a therapist who specializes specifically in your situation in what we call MBT, mentalization, um, then that would be very wonderful as an accompaniment to what you're doing so that you can start to see the big picture of what's going on in these interactions. It's a, it can be a painful process if you're looking at, you know, uh, shifting from what are your needs to what are the needs of the people around you and maybe some of that information that's being missed, but it's so very helpful 
and beneficial. And I know that it really drove my recovery forward when I was able to see, okay, well, why would he tell me this about these dishes or whatever it was? Is he really the kind of guy who is so mean that he would do that? Like, what's the other story here? So stepping back and checking out that story went a long way. And, you know, knowing that, yeah, right, like when emotions are high, mental illness diagnosis or not, abuse would occur because any behavior that's um, executed in an emotionally driven state is going to be a, a, a behavior that's unpredictable, right? Possibly dangerous, possibly, but that doesn't make you abusive or him abusive by definition, doesn't make that who either one of you are. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, Jay and I would love for you guys to reach out. Phone number 844-984-7483 or 844-9-THRIVE. You can call, you can text, you can send us an email at contact at skeeterstrength.com. Thank you all so much, and I'll be back next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline to Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD.